to the brightest audience in the country. Welcome to Bob and Yurt Live. I'm the pastor of Denver Bible Church. We're going now to Minneapolis, but not for the reason you might think, not for yesterday's verdict to the trial, but for another reason, something very important that happened there recently at an abortion mill. And a stalwart in the Denver Christian community, Mark Augenbaugh, longtime friend for many decades, let me know that he has a friend in St. Paul, Reuben Scott, where something rather startling happened recently. A child that was scheduled to be killed was saved. And what an honor now. We don't know one another, but Reuben, welcome to Bob and Yurt Live. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, you're very welcome. Ruben, you and I, we don't know anything about one another, I think, but uh, Mark is not only a friend, but he's a co-laborer in the gospel, and he's a hero for fighting to save unborn children. So his recommendation is good for our producers, and I'm thrilled to talk to you. Could you tell us about what happened with this child? Sure, absolutely. So this was actually the abortion clinic in Robbinsdale, Minnesota, which is just north of North Minneapolis. Okay. Every Saturday morning, they're scheduled to do their abortions between about 7.30 and 9. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of us try to go out there every Saturday morning and, and just try to plead with the women, pray for them, try to give them another option, um, try to support them in any way that we can. If there's any financial needs or anything that they need, we just try to offer it to them and just give them a, a, a better way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was on March 6th, if I'm not mistaken, toward the beginning of the day, a couple parked across the street, which is a little odd because usually they come inside the parking lot yeah. of the abortion clinic. Right. Um, but this day, for some reason, I don't know if they were confused or what was going on, but they parked across the street and started walking over to us. Um, so as they were walking, I had a chance to speak with them and just briefly plead with them and just ask them to, to save the life of their baby. And they listened a little bit. They weren't, you know, wanting to hear it, but as they walked up, they were, they were willing to, to listen. Um, there were more escorts that day at the clinic than usual. Usually there's two or three, but today there were, there were four. So and by the, the escorts, escorts, many abolitionists, we call them death escorts because they yes. volunteer for the abortionist to, try to make sure that every woman who shows up ends up killing her baby. So they were more escorts than normal. Exactly. Which was disheartening, but you know, they've, they've been putting out more and more escorts or death escorts, um, more often at this clinic, um, just to, <laughs> to bring more women in and to take more of the money off of, off of killing the children. But, so they, they kind of swooped in as quick as they could at the, the base of the, the parking lot there. Uh, they're doing their thing as usual, talking with the couple, trying to tell them not to listen to us, trying to talk over us. 
Um, so both the, the couple, I'm assuming the boyfriend, the boyfriend and the girlfriend went inside the clinic. And um, at that point, we were a little discouraged. We were praying for them. Um, we were hoping that something would change, but it just kind of seemed like a typical, uh, you know, a, a typical time there. Yeah. Uh, a few minutes later, the, the boyfriend came out. And as he was walking to his car, he came right down the parking lot, um, right down the sidewalk, right where I was standing. Um, so I had a chance to to speak with him for a little bit, um, just about his responsibility as a father, about the issues involved in abortion, what, what the reality is, and what's actually happening in abortion. Wow. And by God's grace, he actually stopped and listened for a little bit. He wasn't really taking it in in a you know, positive way, but... He actually stopped and, and listened for, for a few minutes. Um, I was able to give him a, a brochure that just had some more information about abortion and, you know, options for, you know, an, another way if there is a women's center nearby or whatnot. Sure. I and and so, Ruben, and so the audience knows there have literally been thousands of, we used to call them CPCs, crisis pregnancy centers, women's centers, run by volunteers for the most part, all over this country. And whereas Planned Parenthood and the other abortion mills, whereas they get hundreds of dollars uh, in Boulder, Colorado, where we have Warren Hearn, late-term abortionist, many thousands of dollars to kill a single child, these thousands of women's centers run by Christians who are there to help women and to not kill their children. They don't charge those women. It costs the abolitionists, it costs the Christians a lot of money to be there, and it's a labor of love. So you have, obviously, information for someone who's willing to talk, just like we do in Denver at the local child-killing center, and we have a wonderful, we have, of course, different pieces of literature, but one list, some really great resources that are here locally. Yes, exactly. And actually, there's a there's a clinic literally across the street of, of this Robbinsdale Clinic, uh, just outside of North Minneapolis. And sadly, they were closed that day. Um, we love oh. to offer to just walk across the street to get an ultrasound. And like yeah. you said, it's all free. It's all volunteers and, and people wanting to just help women and give them a, a better way. But yeah. today it was closed. And and here, so. in and I, I'm sorry to keep uh, interrupting, Ruben, but for our Colorado audience, even though most of our audience is beyond our radio broadcast reach, thanks to podcasts and the internet, but here in Colorado at our largest killing center, which is at I-70 in Quebec, Planned Parenthood, on the same block right across the street, a one-minute walk is Marisol, a crisis pregnancy center. And we've had this, we've had an issue over the years, but really they've gotten very good where they were closed too often. When the women are there, that's when we need them to be open. And thankfully that's happening more and more. That's that's great. Yeah, whenever they're open, it's, it's such a blessing because we can just <laughs> send them across the street and hopefully they can see their ultrasound. They can see their, their precious baby in the womb and, and hopefully change their mind. So it's a wonderful, wonderful resource to have nearby. And 
it's it's fantastic when these people set up their mm-hmm. their crisis center right near yeah. uh, abortion clinics. And but, ultrasounds are so powerful because the mom could see her baby in her womb. Now it's sometimes claimed that we know today in the age of 3D ultrasound, 4D ultrasound, we know today that it's a baby because we can see the baby. But of course, we've known throughout human history, not only because of miscarriages, tragically, where a baby comes out and they see the woman was only a few months pregnant and and here, tragically, the baby died in her womb. It's a natural death. It's not a murder. And uh, so they've always, we've always known, plus, of course, the moms feel the baby kicking. And, and so we've always known it's a baby in the womb, but the latest technology makes it dramatic where you could see the baby. Often the baby will be sucking its thumb or, or yeah. grabbing its toes while you're looking at the baby. Absolutely. Yeah, one of my favorite um, arguments for uh, for this is called the sled argument. Um, I'm sure you yeah. and your audience might be familiar with that. And it just shows the, the four ways that the only distinctions between uh, what we would say an adult human life and uh, a baby life in the womb, uh, which is S for size, L, which is level of development, uh, e, which is environment or the location of the baby, and D, the degree of dependency. Mm-hmm. Um, so we try to bring this up often at the clinics, and it's a fantastic argument because none of those reasons, none of those things justify killing an innocent human life. Sure. Degree of dependency, an infant is 100% dependent for its life on its mother or others around, 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so Scott Klusendorf, he's a, um, he's a popular apologist for the issue of abortion on the pro-life side. Um, he likes to say, trot out the toddler, meaning if you're having a conversation on abortion like this and someone's using an analogy about the baby in the womb, uh, use the same thing with a two-year-old child. Because, again, a two-year-old child is small regarding the size. Um, It's not fully developed. Um, You know, it's still dependent on the mother. But no no person, I shouldn't say not many people in our society, would would say that it's justified to kill that toddler. Right. Um, So comparing a toddler and the baby in the womb is a great way to... um, you know, to engage in this argument and to show the, the, the life value of, of babies in the womb. Mm. And you were right to clarify, well, not many, over at American Right to Life's website, and that's AmericanRTL.org slash infanticide, I had the opportunity to write an article on the many leaders, all of whom happen to be also pro-abortion, normal abortion, the many leftist leaders, famous celebrities, scholars, and institutions that support killing babies, and they'll call them, they'll say aborting them after they're born, they call it afterbirth abortion. And it's stunning to go through that list, AmericanRTL.org slash infanticide, and see that this battle This battle truly involves people who know that they are slaughtering children. Yes. 
Yes, absolutely. Like you said, it's no longer for the vast majority of people an issue of ignorance in the sense of we just didn't know. Mm-hmm. Science is, is very, very clear and embryology is very, very clear that from the moment of fertilization, the moment a zygote is formed, the moment of conception, that a distinct human life is created at that moment. And from there on out, we should treat all humans equal. We shouldn't select which people we we think should live and die. We should be mm-hmm. consistent yeah. and stand for the rights of all human beings, no matter what level of development that they currently have or yeah. level of maturity that they have. Yeah, as God says, I'd like to quote God and then the University of Chicago. God says in the Bible, do not kill the innocent. That's pretty mm-hmm. clear. The University of Chicago in 2018 they did a survey of biologists, degreed biologists from over a thousand institutions around the world, and they found that 5,200 biologists have this consensus that, of course, I mean, it's obvious, but that life begins at fertilization, and that was 95% of the biologists that they surveyed, of course, the ones who disagreed, they did so for political reasons because they're obsessed with killing unborn children. But that survey was published in a peer-reviewed scientific journal. So it's solid. And of course, we link to that study at our website, kgovkgov.com. Absolutely. Yeah, it seems like what they have to do nowadays is because they can't deny the science that this is a human life in the womb. They have to change the definition of what it means to be a person. Mm. And that, that's a scary thing. Instead of going to scripture and seeing that God created us in, in the womb, he knitted us together in our mother's womb. Um, he, you know, all these things that are assigned to us, the value um, that we have already from the moment God is, is forming us in the womb. We have to change that from being a person to just a clump of cells. Mm. And the scary part about that is if we can just dictate when a person is a person based off of pragmatism or the value we, we put on society or how valuable we are to other people. Yeah. That's a, a very, very scary place for society to be in. And it's, Agreed. you know, there's no standard to that at any point they could change the meaning of person again. Oh yeah. Um, just like they did in the Holocaust, just like they did in times of slavery. Yeah. With Dred Scott, they weren't saying that blacks were not people, but they were saying that basically they're not citizens and therefore they have no rights. You could own them as property, which is absurd because tourists who came here, say, from London, they're not citizens, but you can't own them as property. So the contradictions in the justifications to dehumanize human beings— The contradictions are blatant, but when you're driven by sin, when you're driven by rebellion against Jesus Christ, then, of course, any absurdity you'll use if you think it's justifying your behavior. So this boyfriend, uh, he, he accepted the literature. He didn't seem to be especially excited to be talking to you. Yeah, and even in our conversation, he used the term that it was a mistake, that the baby was a mistake, and trying to justify the situation, bringing up economic reasons, saying that it was an accident, Um, you know, just kind of the the typical 
excuses to be to be honest about it yeah um so after that he, he went across the street back to his vehicle and i just felt a burden about this i, I especially when when men bring their girlfriends there i just I really feel a deep burden about that. As men, we're, we're called to provide for our family. Mm. And what happens in abortion when men are influencing the, the, the wife or the girlfriend, it's the exact opposite. They're, they're helping to destroy their family, not provide for their family. Mm. So I, I went across the street and tried to speak with them a little bit more through the, through the vehicle. He couldn't hear me too much because he was on the phone. With, with somebody I didn't know who I, I didn't know if he was trying to ignore me, if he was faking being on the phone. I'm like, I don't know how long I should be here. I don't want to harass him. So I just kind of told him through the car, this is the most important thing you can do right now. This is the future of your family. And wow. then I just went back across the street and, and we prayed for him. I'd say about 10 minutes later, he pulled out of his, his parking spot across the street. And drove down the street, um, and our hearts kind of sunk at that moment because we thought he was just leaving. He was gonna come back once the abortion was done. So we were kind of we were pretty disheartened at that point. Um, however, about I'd probably say about 15 minutes later or so, uh, there's a woman across the street. I think she was just walking her dog. Uh, this woman walking across the street, she started yelling at us, just demeaning comments saying things like you guys are out here all the time and nothing good comes of it what are you doing out here mm. just trying to just trying to harass us and what we're doing but what was amazing it was literally about 10 to 20 seconds after she said that the boyfriend came back down the street pulled into the parking lot and was there to pick up his girlfriend Wow, um, I'm reading it in between the lines a little bit here but I can assume that he was on the phone with his girlfriend mm. Because as he pulled in, she came out of the abortion clinic also on the phone. And she just hung up when she walked out of the door. So if I was understanding the situation right, he was convincing her probably through about 30 minutes to not have this abortion wow. and to come out. Wow. So when the, when the woman came out of, this, of the clinic, um, one of the other sidewalk counselors asked her, did you go through with it? And she shook her head no. And... Um, they decided to, to save the baby and she went back in the car. Uh, we thanked the parents for what they did. We cheered them on as they, Mm. as they left. Mm. And one thing I'll never forget about this is the look on this woman's face was a look of such relief. Um, such just like a burden lifted from her. She kind of just like slumped in the car and just almost had like a smile on her face, like, just like dodging a bullet, like mm-hmm. something bad almost happened. We almost did something terrible and we made the right decision. Wow. So wow. it's just amazing, amazing to see God working in their hearts Yeah, um, to come back and to choose life and to choose, choose the life of their child. Ruben, so if you, that was just a very, very emotional moment when mm-hmm. I left that day, I, I called my wife, told her what happened and, as I was driving home, I was just bawling my eyes out in the car. Yeah, yeah. Thanking God and just praising Him for for doing this work because wow. ultimately it's not us that are changing anyone's minds. We we can't ultimately change hearts. Um, we can be God's tool. We can um, 
you know, do what God has called us to do. But at the end of the day, it's God who's working in their hearts to to choose life. So just see God doing that firsthand was an incredible experience. So Ruben, when, uh, you know, if, if you guys were not there, then they would have had no one speaking for the child. And we have seen, because we've been, of course, all over the country, Christians have been at abortion mills since they have gone public you know, for you go back to the history of ancient Greece, the Hippocratic Oath, um, uh, do first do no evil, and I shall not procure a poison or an abortifacient. And so we know that babies have been killed by so-called doctors for many centuries. But back during the 60s, 70s in this country, it began to go mainstream and public, and Christians have been out there. Tragically, not everywhere and not every day they're open and killing, but Christians have been out there hundreds of thousands of times. There have been individual believers who were there to attempt to intervene and were not only saving the baby. I shouldn't use the word only. Saving a baby is as extraordinary, eternal consequences, but we're also saving the mother from becoming the murderer of her child, Yes, from becoming the killer of her own child, and we're saving the father from being an accomplice for killing his child, oftentimes, and the abortionist, even though he's totally hard-hearted, that's one less baby he was able to get his hands on. So, wow, thank you so very much. Here in Denver, it was back in the late 80s, there had been a witness at the Planned Parenthood abortion mill from the 70s, but it was in the 80s. We used to go on Fridays and Saturdays, mostly, or a Wednesday and a Saturday, and it was one Saturday morning, late 80s, we decided after the abortion mill had closed for the day, we decided to have a meeting under a shade tree, and maybe there was a dozen of us, and we said, we need to ask God to help us to be here every day they're open. When women are going in to have their babies killed, we need someone here every single day during the hours that they're killing to try to reach out to save the baby, save the mother too, and or the father. And From that day, we picked five people. Each person was in charge of a different day. And the goal was to get at least a few people there on. So if you had Tuesday, you had Thursday, at least a few people on your day. And by God's blessing, from the late 80s, and I forget exactly the year. It might have been 88. uh, But until this day, there have been Christians there to speak up for the child every single day. I mean, there may have been a blizzard or something where people couldn't get there, but virtually every day that they've been killing until this very day, Wednesday, April 21st, 2021. Wow. So when we hear that you are there in Robbinsdale, just north of Minneapolis, it is such an encouragement to us to press on. And so, so thank you. And wow, this child is, is alive today. 
what a blessing. Yeah. Praise God. Yeah, I think one of the, the biggest needs uh, right now is for pastors and, and church leaders to um, to encourage their their congregations to act more. So it's fantastic to hear that you're you've been doing that for so long and, and bringing mm-hmm. people out there because that's one of the, the biggest things that, that I see and I haven't been doing this too long. But even since I've been starting to sidewalk council, there are not that many people out there in general, and not that many believers out there. Um, even even for myself, I can speak from personal experience that God really used my pastor, uh, Jonas Hailu, um, when he spoke at our church about the issue of abortion. I've always known that you know abortion is wrong. I've always been pro-life in name, but not always in action. I've always believed growing up that abortion was wrong. And I've had that belief in the back of my mind, but being pro-life is something that requires action. It's a belief that requires mm. action along with it, mm. especially as believers were called in scripture to fight for justice, to honor God by honoring him in justice. Yeah. We're not called to sit on the sidelines. We're called to be active members in this fight. And through so, my, my pastor, Jonas Hailu. And what church? Messages, What's the name of the church? Our church is called Shalom Community Church. We're in North Minneapolis, and uh, Jonas Hailu is, is one of our pastors. Oh, that's uh, Brian just... is another pastor. That's just super, Ruben. Here in Denver and around the country, there are a lot of battle-hardened anti-abortionists who we've We've started using different terminology. I mean, terminology isn't morality, right? Morality, uh, we are obligated to God to obey him strictly and never swerve in any way whatsoever from his moral commands. But regarding um, tactics like terminology, we've shifted from pro-life to abolitionist because we've noticed that so many politicians, I mean, even hardcore uh, Democrat pro-aborts will say like in a primary speech or in some kind of ad directed at Christians that I'm pro-life. And it turns out after we've been on the radio for 30 years, five days a week, so many supposed pro-life Republican leaders actually are pro-abortion. They they might say they're pro-life with exceptions, but we found out after tracking this for decades they're really pro-choice with exceptions, or they're pro-abortion with exceptions. So we've started saying abolition, that we're abolitionists, because the fake pro-lifers won't say that. They won't say, we are trying to abolish abortion, because they could coexist with Planned Parenthood for the next 50 years, as long as Christians are funding their primary campaigns and supporting them. So anyway, just something to think about. Yeah, that's exactly right. So yeah, I think it's time for our politicians and our leaders to stand on their beliefs, not just say they're pro-life in name, but to have as their goal the ending of abortion once and for all. Yeah. And I think we're seeing some leaders now, um, some politicians, Walt Blackman in Arizona and some others, that are that are leading the fight to end abortion in their states. Yeah, that that's I, really... I that's really great at ProLifeProfiles.com, a super website. Uh, let me recommend to our audience, check out Tier 2 and some of the names on Tier 2 where they're not really trying to end abortion right now. 
But um, we're out of time. Ruben, what a blessing. And I'm going to have to thank Mark for suggesting we talk. Thank you so much, Bob. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. God bless you guys. Hi, this is Pastor Bob Enyart of Denver Bible Church, inviting you to come on out Sunday morning, 9.30 for Sunday school, 11 o'clock for worship service. We're just off of I-70 in Kipling. Check us out at denverbiblechurch.org. Have you heard of the Plot Manuscript? It's 330 pages, an overview of the entire Bible. People who have read it have said it's helped them understand and enjoy the Word of God. I wrote the plot years ago. We sell it at a money-back guarantee, $49.95 plus shipping and handling. And if you don't feel that you really understand the Bible now, we want to give you your money back. So go online to order it at kgov, kgov.com, or call us at 800-8-N-Y-A-R-T. That's 1-800-836-9278.